Right, I'm inviting you today to look at my magpie's nest. I was thinking about this this morning as we were praying before the meeting. A magpie, so tradition has it, is a bird that likes to go around and find shiny things to decorate its nest. Uh, whether it actually does, I think they do do it a bit, but they maybe don't do it quite as much as, uh, as the, there is the tradition. But I feel that God's helped me to pick out a number of different things that he wants me to share this morning. And I was thinking about where I heard them from. I've heard some from John and some from Jamie. I've seen some in an email from PJ. I was speaking with my father-in-law and I got a little bit more of what I felt God had for me. And uh, I've actually heard from God myself as well. But there's a whole kind of mixture of things I want to bring to us today. And it's no accident, I think, that the topic that God's given me is about hearing God in the noise. See, there's an awful lot of communication that goes on around us, an awful lot of messages, um, lots of different messages, some of which are helpful, some of which are less helpful. And we need God's help to pick out what he's saying. And uh, on Tuesday night, we were praying into the whole EU situation, praying for leadership. Uh, and uh, I just thought, you know, sometimes I, I, I just uh, was thinking about uh, the whole EU thing. And I remembered this headline. See if you remember it. Some of you will be too young. Who might have seen a newspaper? It was young, old enough to have, sorry, wise enough maybe to have seen a newspaper in 1990. Uh, This was a a message that was sent uh, by the Sun to uh, Mr. Delors, who who actually wanted to reinstate a whole load of uh, Labour laws uh, into the UK, which a certain Mrs. Thatcher had tried to get rid of, and uh, she was was going off to the EU, the ECU, to tell Mr. Delors where to stuff his ECU. Anyway, that was... That was then, and of course this is now, uh, and, uh, and that's the difference that, that uh, 26 years make of uh, an involvement in a project, and, and now we've made this decision. But the sky feels like it's falling in, if you listen to certain people. Um, I felt the sky was falling in. But then, of course, we got that email from John, many of us, that, that encouraged us, and then I started to think, you know, maybe there is more to this than what I've been thinking. And I saw this um, shared from a chap called Chris Villotten, who some of you might have heard of. And he's a, a prophetic ministry guy um, connected with Bethel, um, lives out in the States. And this is just something that he shared. And I just thought it was very interesting. There were certain echoes of some things that you might have seen. I'm very excited for the UK, who courageously left the EU yesterday. I actually didn't think they would do it, because safety usually trumps adventure. We tend to fear the unknown. This took guts. Now we'll listen listen to all the naysayers saying that the sky is falling. It's just the way that humans respond to change, to things they don't understand. These are exciting days ahead for the UK as she struggles to forge her own identity and navigate the white water of fear of man. 
but great prosperity awaits her in the new world. Like Abraham and Sarah, when God commanded them to leave their country to a place he would show them, the UK doesn't know where she's going, but she knows where she can't stay. Holy dissatisfaction. God bless the UK, may she prosper, and may the prosperity of her people be great. Now, I thought, well, isn't that interesting? Because whatever I think of the decision, how he's picking up something which I, I was not hearing in that good old media show. I wasn't hearing it in the place I work. In the place I work, you know, so many people are connected with the city. It, it was like someone had died on the day after the EU uh, referendum. It was, it was that kind of level. And yet, God's got a plan for us. And I just want to make sure that this morning we spend a bit of time thinking about, so how do we hear what God's saying against the backdrop of things that we may not agree with, about the thick backdrop of things we may agree with? But that's not really the crucial thing. The crucial thing is that a whole load of stuff is being chucked at us day in, day out. Not even, you know, Top Gear can keep its leadership, you know, these days. There's a whole load of uh, change going on for leadership in the UK. And uh, God has put us as a people in a place to seek adventure, in a nation that has an uncertain future. Well, that's an interesting position to be in. So, adventure. Adventure. Now, adventure is a great idea, I always have thought. But going on an adventure, well, it involves risk, doesn't it? And, well, to be honest, I'm not that keen on the old risk thing. I'd really much rather know what I was going to get when I get there. As a, when my family were growing up, we, we spent 12 years, I think 12 years, going to pretty much the same place on our summer holiday because we loved it. And, uh, you know, actually, we had a great holiday there. And my kids have got fantastic memories. Wasn't it good? Fantastic memories of this place. And actually, sometimes we still go back to the same place. But God dropped something into our hearts after this experience of saying, you know what? We mustn't, you know, this is about settling down. This is about needing to actually explore and to do something different. So what basis do we have for adventure? Is it just something, well, I've had enough of cricket, I want to go and try something else. You know, we'll have enough of where I've been on holiday, I want to try something else. Or is there something else that enables and facilitates it? And it came to me last night, last Tuesday, when we were praying together. You know, there is only one basis for going to these places of risk. And that is that God says, I will go with you. And, you know, Moses said to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. There is only one place, one position to take as we go into these uncharted territories. And that is the position with God right alongside us. We want to be those that are sent, not went. You know, we're, we're ones that don't just go places. And uh, this is not to clip your wings or to stop your dreams. But I'm saying that not every good thought you have is a God thought. 
But there are things that God has for you to do in these days. And um, if we're going to know that God's with us, we've got to hear what he's saying. Um, Many things shout for our attention. How do we make sure that we don't just listen to the loudest shouter? I wanted to spend a bit of time just talking about the kinds of noise I'm talking about. I've talked about newspapers. To be honest, most of us probably wouldn't stake our lives on what comes on the front page of the sun, you know? Mostly, okay? But there are lots of things that generate noise for us. There are things that come within us that generate noise. Our emotions are not wrong, generally. Sometimes our emotions lead us to sin. That's why the Bible says, you know, in your anger, do not sin. But actually, emotions are not wrong. But they're not God. He may cause you to have compassion. He may cause you to feel certain things. But sometimes our emotions make it very hard to hear exactly what God's saying. And in the holy you thing, I think I feel a certain measure of Emotional. I felt emotional, Avril. I'm just saying this to you now. I should say it to Heather too. About Scotland leaving the UK. I didn't want Scotland to leave the UK. And there was a kind of a... And I was trying to work out, what is that going on about? Why am I feeling like this? But that's because I feel emotional about most things. (laughs) So I, for one, have to deal with that and understand that my emotions are not the same as what God's saying. But emotions can lead to fear and worry. Speculation. What might happen? Rationalising things, working out what's going to go on. Even my health can create noise inside of me that makes it hard to know exactly what God's saying. So, on top of all of this, we can also get... Noises from the outside. So we get noises inside us, we get noises on the outside, and some of the things I've got here. um, Now, I'm not saying anything about what goes on in my house, but you know the family around us, they generate noise. All sorts of noise. Some of it helpful, some of it less helpful. Our friends generate noise around us. What our friends are going through. The community we live in. Colleagues at work, work pressure creates a noise of its own. Job insecurity creates a noise. Not having enough. Seeing what you've got as being what lim- limitation, a limitation on what you can achieve because of what you don't have. And then, of course, you've got the media as well. But you see, in all of this striving, in all of this noise, I believe there's a voice that God wants us to tune into and to hear that, that is clear. And uh, I just want to take us to a couple of situations this, this, this week. I want to talk about Elijah on Mount Carmel 
first of all. If you want to look at more of the story, you can find it in 1 Kings 18. But it's where he's with the prophets of Baal. And, uh, and they decide to have a competition about whose God is the real God. And, um, and what happens is that uh, he kind of challenges them to this competition. We're going to make a sacrifice. You call on your God, I'll call on mine, and we'll see who the real God is. And Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Elijah is the last prophet remaining. Call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the bull and then they prepared it. And then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they answered. They asked, but there was no response. No one answered. So then they danced around the altar they'd made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder. Perhaps he's, uh, surely he's a god. Perhaps he's in deep thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until the blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time came for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. You know, when stuff happens that people don't understand, they make a lot of noise about it. It, felt, it feels to me that as a nation, we're making an awful lot of noise at the moment. We're desperate to see something different. But the something comes when God speaks. These prophets of Baal were looking for a, a breakthrough but there was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. But just at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that they are turning their hearts back, you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burnt up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. No amount of working yourself into a frenzy. That's Mount Carmel, by the way. No amount of working yourself into a frenzy will get you the answer that you need. God is God, and God speaks continuously. We need to listen and to tune in to what he's saying. The accuracy of our hearing does not come from effort because God speaks by grace and grace alone. And when grace comes... In this situation, uh, Elijah then actually has to take himself off and he goes back to a cave to hide from the people. And while he's in that cave, the Lord said to Elijah, go stand in, uh, stand in front of me on the mountain and I will pass you by. And then a very strong wind blew and it caused the mountains to fall apart and large rocks to break in front of the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. 
And then after the wind, there came an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a quiet voice, gentle sound, sorry. When Elijah heard it, he covered his face with his coat and went out and stood at the entrance to the cave. And a voice said to him, Elijah, why are you here? Now, I've read that story many times before, and I was thinking about these are all things that are tremendous noises. And I think they represent things that we can see going on around us that can draw us aside from what God is actually saying. And as I prayed about it, I felt God was saying that the strong wind is like a, a, a noise in your face. I mean, it's, it's not a normal wind, to be honest, because it does say it breaks mountains apart. But, but for me, a wind is something which is in your face. You can't ignore it. It's, how many of you, sorry, have you noticed, some of you I know go to, go to work in places like this one. Some of you are teachers. Have you noticed what happens to children's behaviour when it's windy? Has anyone noticed how wild your children get when it's windy? Wind stops you from resting. It's one of the main things. You don't get any space. It's like, it's in your face. And it's like, Wind stops you from being restful, from finding peace. Earthquakes shake the structures of the earth. The earth is not meant to move. You know, it kind of, when it's solid, isn't it? It's, and when you're somewhere and there is an earthquake, I don't know how many, have you ever been in an earthquake? I've been in an earthquake. Not a very big one, it has to be said. It, but it's a very weird sensation. Very weird sensation. Things that you know are solid and, and can't move suddenly do. But it struck me that in an earthquake, all the stuff is there. It's just been broken apart and messed about with. But when the fire comes, of course, what's there gets eaten up. In fact, fire is used quite a lot in the Bible as a, as a time of testing, as, a, as, a, as an instrument of being tested, of being refined. When God takes away those things which are temporary and he leaves the things that are eternal. Um, so when, when, God, when, when the fire comes, it, it, it's alarming because things disappear before our very eyes. And I think in the media show that we've been going through in this last little while, we've had quite a lot of bluster and wind. We may be about to get some earthquakes. I don't know about the fire, but I do know that when God speaks, it's different because he speaks personally to us. And our challenge is that those things that are empty in the world make the most noise. You know, that it, I just felt God remind me, you know, empty vessels make the most noise. If you have two bottles and you strike them, it's the empty one that makes the most noise because it's not, it's not damped. It's physics, right? it's not damped. It just rings, doesn't it? Put a bell into water and it doesn't make the same sound. Empty things, things that have no substance, make a tremendous noise in our lives. And we need to be aware of that feature of them. So, 
I want now to look at an example of someone as they walk through an adventure, a whole load of noise that was going on around them, and how they kept themselves true to what God was saying. We're going to look at the story of Paul as he sets sail for Rome. It's in Acts 27. You can have a look at it if you want. But it's very much an adventure story, actually. Um, although it's, it's a, I'm probably going to read you and paraphrase quite a lot of the story today. It's, it's pretty much a story. It's not really a heavy read. Um, and um, you remember, towards the end of Acts, Paul has been uh, arrested... Uh, for various crimes, preaching the gospel and, 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 and so on. And uh, he's insisting, as a Roman citizen, that they don't try him just in the local court. But as a Roman citizen, he can get taken to Rome. Nobody wants to take him to Rome, but he's heard God that he needs to go there. And so he's not willing to let go of the idea that he's going to be tried in Rome. And uh, so we're going to look at the journey that he follows and uh, just look at what happens along the way, okay? So in Acts 27, it says, When it's decided we should sail for Italy, Paul and some of the other prisoners were handed over to a centurion called Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship uh, from Adramitium, Yeah, and we're about to set sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia. We put out to sea, uh, and uh, Aristarchus and Macedonius from Thessalonica was also with us. The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go with his friends uh, so they might provide for his needs. He's not really having a very tough journey, is he? But so far... So then we set out to sail again, and we passed into the Lee of Cyprus. So we're we're moving up, we've gone to Antioch, and now we're just around the back of Cyprus there. And and when we'd sailed across the open sea of the coast of Sicilia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There a centurion found the Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days. Mm. We had made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Sinaidus. And the wind did not uh, allow us to hold our course, so we had sailed to the lee of Crete, opposite of Salome. And we moved along the coast with great difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. Much time had been lost. And the sailing had already become dangerous because now it was the Day of Atonement. So Paul, and he's just commenting there on the time of year. So it's the time of year when there were going to be a lot more storms. So uh, that's what Luke's writing about there. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and cargo and to our lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. And since the harbour was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided, see democracy there, decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and to winter there. This was a harbouring creek facing the southwest and the northwest. Now, just to give you an idea, so Fair Havens is here, right? And 
that place that I just mentioned is just up the coast. So that's, that's where they were trying to get, just, just up the coast on Crete. So it's another part of Crete. That's where they were trying to get to. And, um, but Paul said, I know that sounds like a really sensible idea, but he didn't actually, I've just put that in. If I was saying it, that's what I'd say. But God's shown me that this is a really dangerous time to set sail. You don't want to do it. Sometimes God's going to give us words like that to say to the people around us. Be aware that what the wise people say, and in that sense I do mean wise this time, what the clever people say is not always the best course. I've just got to say, not the clever people. The clever people don't always know. And we're brought up to believe what the clever people tell us is true. But quite often what the clever people are saying is, well, this is the most likely. But when God tells you something's going to happen, he's not saying, well, this is probably going to be the case. This is what is going to be. And so they're in this place called Fair Havens. Paul said, don't do anything. Don't go from here. You need to stay here. They said, well, we don't like it here. There's a much better pub around the corner. We're going to sail just a few miles down the coast. Let's see what happens. So a gentle south wind began to blow, and they saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Uh Uh-oh, verse 14. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called a northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by a storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way and were driven along. And as we passed into the lee of a small island called Calder, we are hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it on board, and they passed ropes under the ship to hold it together. You, you can't really imagine what this is like, but this is a wooden boat that's likely to be broken apart, and they're passing ropes in the storm, which is going up and down, around it to kind of hold it together. Because, of, because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Citrus, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be l- driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm the next day that we began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, we threw out the ship's tackle uh, with with our own hands, and neither the sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging, and we finally gave up all hope of being saved. So, remember, they were just going from, like, this is Fair Havens, they're just going up the coast, they get caught in a storm, and they end up over here. So they've only started from Antioch, which is here. So this shortcut of the wise people was not terribly good because it ends up bringing them way over to here eventually. But Paul doesn't treat the others who hadn't listened to him with contempt. He's still in the boat and he's still part of what's going on. Now, I think I might be a bit nervous of us, Paul, to be honest, because all the experts around me are telling me that this boat is about to go down. And in fact, if it's a kind of a storm that is upsetting them, it's the kind of a storm that really ought to upset me. But he stands up before them and he says, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage. 
because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of the Lord, to whom I belong and whom I serve, who I serve beside me, whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in a God that it will happen, and it will happen just as he has told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. I want, I want to believe and expect that that's how God's going to communicate with me. That in the midst of all of this rubbish that's going on, I'm going to hear directly from God. When we're in the middle of a storm, it might feel like we're alone. But actually, God's right there. God sent an angel. This is a time they're not going to be sleeping terribly well. Okay? They haven't seen the sun or stars for a long time. What's critical about that? They have no idea where they are. All they know is it's sea that way, sea that way, sea that way. Oh, and that way, well, it's sea. And we have this chunk of wood that we're holding on to that is my, my security. But right in the midst of that, the angel of the Lord comes and speaks to him. And I think that I, I, I want to I just, uh, just emphasize that because I think that's very, very important. Um, the storm was not of Paul's making, but actually he's still at risk from the consequences of everything else that's gone on around him. At risk may not be the right word, but he's still, in, he's still caught up in the consequences. God is going to save him despite what else has gone on. The fact they didn't listen to him doesn't make him hold back. And... Um, and, you know, if people make wrong decisions or decisions that we don't agree with, actually God wants us involved in finding solutions and moving things forward. So he urges them to, to, to eat, and let me just, uh, it goes on um, after 14 nights of this storm. That's 14 nights without sleep, really. They discover that the wood, the water is beginning to get shallow. So in verse 27, it reads, you can find they take soundings, they're coming towards the shore, and um, some of the sailors decide they're going to get out of the boat and go into the lifeboat, and Paul intervenes and says, look, if you get out of this boat, you're going to die. But God said, if you stay in the boat, then it's all going to be okay. So they stay in the boat, and there were 276 people on this boat. So it's not a little boat here. We're talking about a big thing. And they discover that they run aground. They run aground on a sandbar. And, uh, you know, the consequence of Paul being there is that they get rid of the things that they own. They realise that the cargo that they were carrying, that was the purpose for their journey, you know, they have to get rid of that. This storm means that that has to go. They jettison the things that, that are tackled, the things that enable them to really pretty much steer the ship. Um, for the guys in the boat, this is about a position of surrender. This is about realising 
that they can, that as they let go, that God is going is to help them. And they run aground now, and they start to make to shore. And, um, and they, they uh, let me see, the ships struck a standby, that's in verse 41, the bow stuck fast and it would not move, the stern was broken to pieces, so the boat's completely destroyed. Um, centurion saves Paul's life. And uh, the centurion then orders those who could swim to jump overboard first, and the rest were to get there on planks and other pieces of, from the ship. And in this way, every one, 276, reached the land safely. Once safely on shore, we found out the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. You know, I think that when God provides a way out, our destination becomes a place of unusual kindness. The storms that people face, when God brings deliverance, bring, bring you to a place of unusual kindness. These storms, these storms can be internal or external. You know, storms can be with an obvious cause, or storms can come on us personally out of the blue. In a sense, this storm was both foreseen and out of the blue. Because God had told Paul that this was going to happen. But if you were a sailor, you probably didn't listen very much to what Paul was saying. You saw the blue sky and a gentle breeze. God has a way to get us through those storms. And so, I just wanted to, to finish by just reminding us about this central need to hear God. You know, hearing God for adventure, it bypasses our own limitations. It, it is radical. It means hearing and doing by releasing faith. Tonight at the at ministry training, one of the things you're going to be talking about is about hearing God for the person that you're praying for, not just looking at the symptoms of what they present you with. It contradicts doctors. For example, experts. Um, these are facts, that, these are things that we use when we're talking about hearing God with the do this, and I've just put them in here just to remind us of them. God works in, in partnership with us, but you know, he speaks to us through the prophets. He does nothing in the earth without revealing his plans first to the prophets. That's Amos 3, 7. He helps us with direction. And we actually do need to hear him so we can please him. Colossians 1, 9 says, Because of this, since the first day we heard about you, we've continued to pray for you, asking God that you'll know fully what he wants. We pray that you will have great wisdom in understanding in spiritual things. So you'll have the kind of life that honours God and pleases the Lord in every way. You'll produce fruit in every good work and grow in the knowledge of God. So I suppose time, is, uh, time has, has gone and I, I want to, don't want to lose you all, but... Um, I can see I am. But just to really finish then, I think that a lot of this is, is summed up in, 
in the expression to be still in the storm. Um, Being still is not about not doing anything. Being still is about being at rest before God, realizing that it's not my striving that actually will achieve what God intends. And uh, I've just got a a short video that I think I'll uh, show. I, I was got some, the, the, so we'll just go on to that, I think. I don't want to miss this. You know, when we're looking at, when we're looking at hearing God... We don't get there by a logical mind. Paralysis by analysis is, is terrible. If I do this, this will happen. If I do this, this will happen. God, what do you want me to do? Well, maybe just listen to God and stop worrying about the, the secondary thoughts. You know, it's so important that we, that we, that we come to him with fresh thoughts. You know, when, when Paul was in that boat, and they took that decision to set sail. He had to then take a new position. He had to then take that new position of knowing that, uh, that God was going to then work out his purpose in that boat ride, which ended up taking him to Rome and ended up fulfilling God's purpose and gave an opportunity to show God's deliverance to all those people on board but showed that the only way they could get there was when they gave up on their skills, when they gave up on their possessions, when they gave up on their wealth, and they just cast themselves onto him. So I believe that God's calling us to stop being distracted by other things, to stop being distracted by, uh, by the noise around us, but in spite of that, and through that, to hear him, so that in our adventure, we cannot be just going to the loudest sound and to the loudest shout, but we can be going to exactly that place that God has for us. So I'm going to stop there. I'm not going to play the tuny thing. We'll share that on the bulletin. We can do. And uh, I want to. I want to hand over to Nathan. Nathan now. So if you feel you're facing a storm, whether that's a storm internal or a storm external, I believe that God wants to meet you in it. And uh, what I'll be looking for is to pray for some of you this morning who I believe are feeling that you are adrift and that God, God is going to work his purpose in you. Okay?